Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. This is your headline. Rats at the police station, filth on L.A. streets. Scenes from the collapse of a city that's lost control. Hmm. And we can get uh, more into this another time. Uh, it's the West Coast bomb explosion. It's just astounding. One of the main focuses uh, of the story is all of the rat-borne Middle Ages diseases that are back in L.A. County now. And it's, A, amazing, B, gross. Middle Ages like a guy in his 50s? No, no, more like uh, the year 1200, Jack. Oh. Uh, the Dark Ages, the disease ages. Well, I'm suffering from Middle Ages diseases. The, uh, the, <laughs> tell me about it. The uh, the pictures in the article are just astounding. We'll have that link for you under hot links at armstrongandgetty.com. It's already up. Beautiful, Hanson. You're way ahead of me. Um, but I, I liked a couple of signs. The city of Los uh, a couple of sentences rather. Uh, the city of Los Angeles has become a giant trash receptacle. It used to be that illegal dumpers were a little more discreet. Now city streets are treated like dumpsters or even toilets. Then they um, street cordoned off after someone dumped a fat load of poop on the street. I'm not sure when any of this became the norm, but it must have something to do with the knowledge you can get away with it. Every sure, time sanitation sure, crews... Yeah, ask Rudy Giuliani how it got started. Uh, every time sanitation crews knock down one mess, another dump site springs up nearby. And then just picture after picture. And, and they're astonishing. And uh, it's sick. And listen... You ask three different people to explain it, you get three different answers. Um, and certainly our more progressive listeners despise it when I say this, but there are no red cities with these problems. There are no cities that prize law, order, compliance with the law, uh, serious enforcing of dumping ordinances, the rest of it, that have these problems. Dump all you want. Uh, I hope you dump a lot. There's the president. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny, Michael. Uh, der, de, de, what was I going to say? Oh, the, the argument is, no, the rent is just too damn high in California. You Nobody know, can afford to live in the cities. You know, then move. That's that's the you're you're an organism. You have self determination. I've done that a couple of times in my life where I moved because I couldn't afford to live where I was. Right, but or I didn't move to a place because it was too expensive for me. One thing that socialism absolutely depends on is you've got to crush the idea. And George Will wrote about this over the weekend. You've got to crush the idea of individualism and individual initiative and the possibilities and and dreams and the rest of it. You got to crush that. You got to make people understand you're dependent on the state. Any happiness you have will come through the government. Any wealth you have, any any achievement you have, it all depends on the collective. Uh, it's very important. But more important than that still is the fact that rats are running rampant and assessing where rats fall on the list of the deadliest animals. Which animals kill the most people? Oh, I know this one. You, you think you know, and you're right. Uh, but... <laughs> But amidst the usual suspects and the obvious, if you're into science at all, mosquitoes, it's, it's disease-bearing animals like rats that kill lots and lots of people. So um, it's not angered baboons. But there are some surprising animals represented in this list, Jack. Angry baboons? Perhaps. Stay tuned. Uh, so, oh, oh, the shark attack story. Getting a tremendous amount of attention. Number one, because all shark attacks do, uh, for some reason. Number two, because dad punched the shark in the face over and over again until it yes. let his daughter go. 
Which she lost is, her leg. Well, yeah, she's That's in rough. terrible shape, but she gets to live. And you know what? I tell you what. Do you know why shark attacks are up? No. Because the seal uh, and and um, seal and what's the other beast? Seal. Sea lion. Seal, sea, sea lions, otters. Right. All those beasts are way up. So conservation uh, strategies have really worked in increasing the population of a lot of your beasts mm-hmm. that were suffering. And now, because we got way more of them, there's a heck of a lot more sharks getting closer to the beach because it's just an open buffet everywhere you go. Oh, it's like feeding the bears. And people are getting at. Yeah. Where there's food, the predator will come. That's right, Matt. So, uh, number 15, sharks. Six deaths a year. Hardly worth mentioning. I'll be interested to see what's going to be this year. So, they've had a number on Cape Cod, and now they've got special first aid kits on the beach, and they've installed phones on the beach. So you can run on the phone and say, hey, my uh, my girlfriend's getting eaten by a shark. Can anybody wow. do something about that? Wow. So, so you can call this shark-punching dad to come over. And, and, then, yeah. and then special I got this. Taste that and that and that. And special blood-stopping, sewing-you-together first aid kits just wow. for shark bites. Yikes. But they've never had before because they haven't had this many shark bites. My wife would be good at that because she loves sewing. Uh, show up on the scene and say, <laughs> what kind of stitch do you want? Uh, I will tell you this, though, Jack. Uh, uh, Cape Cod, shark attacks. I was vacationing as a child in Cape Cod, and uh, and a crab pinched me on the foot, and I ran out of the water screaming. Not my finest moment. <laughs> but it might have been a shark. That was I was just being cautious. So where are we on the list here? We were number 10? Uh, 15, sharks. Okay. Six deaths a year. 14, wolves. Okay. 10 deaths a year. More people Still. die from wolves than sharks, and you never hear about wolf attacks. Almost, Isn't that something? Almost double the number. Yeah. So, yeah should be wolves, there should be more movies made about wolf attacks. Oh, Liam Neeson's. That one wolf movie. I'm going to remake Jaws. That one? Gray Wolf, White Snow something, or something. Yeah. I'm gonna, Red Blood. I'm going to remake Jaws, exactly the same plot and everything. It's just a wolf instead of a shark. Uh, people would be angry because wolves are endangered as well. Ah, that's gray. Uh, right, that's right. So wolves, close relative of the dog. The dog, stay tuned. Lions, 22 plus or minus deaths a year. Way multiples of sharks. Lion attack movies. There have been some good lion attack movies. It's funny. All this runs well, through. Why is the, it about movies? I'm trying to save people's lives. All this runs through the filter in my head of how likely is this to happen to me or my kids? And so far, on not being in the ocean, <laughs> yeah, uh, or around wolves or lions, uh, no chance whatsoever. Right. Twelve. It's one of my favorite beasts on earth. The fascinating heffalump, the elephant. What were lions? Twenty-two deaths a year. Let's leap up to the elephant with elephantine numbers, Jack. 500 deaths a year. Oh, 500. Wow. Oh, yeah. That makes sharks seem like uh, people who fall into the bathtub and hit their head. Right. Well, hell, people die like crazy that way. you got to come up with a different one. People who fall off cliffs taking selfies. There you go. Which is another big headline these days. Wow, that's, uh, to which I say, go ahead. God, getting stampeded <laughs> by an elephant would hurt. Anyway, go on. Yeah, they, they will stomp you into nothing. Uh, the elephant roughly tied with its relative, the hippopotamus, about 500 deaths a year. Okay. I've often heard that that is the most deadly uh, non-parasitic uh, animal. Uh, the hippo? But, yeah, the hippo. It, it's not, actually. But now we're into the uh, the parasites. Tapeworms, 700 deaths a year. Crocodiles. See, that one could happen to me. You could yes, get a tapeworm. You right? could get a tapeworm. Crocodiles. Was that a uh, that was a gator in that lady's kitchen, right? That got all all the attention online over the weekend. Eleven foot gator in this lady's kitchen in in Florida. That's way too big. Oh, thing is a monster. How did it get in her kitchen? Uh, she had like low windows. I mean, really low. 
oddly All low. Right. Well, you, then, yeah. then you deserved it. <laughs> wow. Uh, so crocodiles about a thousand deaths. The Ascaris, a thousand. Yes, but the crocodile is a punk compared to the Ascaris roundworm, about forty five hundred deaths a year. What is that? It's a it's a worm. I got worms. It, 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 it gets you in your small intestine. Affects okay. more children than adults. Sadly. Uh, the tsetse fly, ten thousand deaths a year. Uh, transmits sleeping sickness, uh, which sounds uh, miserable. Um. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Uh, number six, the assassin bug. Never heard of it. 12,000 deaths a year. Carries Chagas disease. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to trust you're not making this up. Jack, Chagas. They call it the kissing bug because it's have a, because of its habit of biting people on their face. Hey, no. Freshwater snails. 20,000 deaths a year. I could take a snail. It says you talk In a guy. fair fight. They carry a parasitic worm that infect people with the disease called unpronounceable. How do you... Schistosomiasis. Well, I told you it was unpronounceable. Like, I know mosquitoes bite me. That's how I get it. How does a snail... Infe- is this improperly prepared escargot or something? Uh, sure it is. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Uh, dogs, 35,000 deaths a year. Dogs specifically infected by rabies. Don't picture Marika. Okay. Picture the third world. Yeah. 35,000 deaths a year from rabid dogs biting people. Jeez. Snakes, 100,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. Keeping in mind that sharks, that are on the news all the time, six. 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 Not 60, 600,000. Six. Six. Six is in half a dozen. Yeah. Six is in, I got these four fingers bit off, so this is all I can do. Right. <laughs> Snake bites kill more than 100,000 people a year. Uh, humans, 437 deaths a year, homicides. I mean, we make snakes look like babies. And, you know, I tried to determine if what war added to that number, because war is more or less an ongoing problem. Some years much bigger than others, obviously. But you've got to average that out and give credit to humans, credit, in quotes, for killing a certain number of people. But homicides, 437,000 deaths per year worldwide, hmm. which is a lot of murders. Yeah, um, so we get number two, again, um, even including wars, probably. Uh, but number one is the, the humble mosquito. There you go. Malaria itself is responsible for more than half of these 750,000 deaths a year, predominantly in sub-Saharan Africa. Speaking of moving, if you don't like where you live, if you live in sub-Saharan Africa, maybe try Saharan Africa or or even North Africa. <laughs> You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Which trait is very important when choosing a partner? Number one, kindness. 88.9% kindness. Wow. And then the similar supportiveness, about 72% said intelligence, 645 down to education, and 60% confident. Confidence. So if you're confident and kind, I mean this, you got it going on. I mean this sincerely. Is hot on the list? Because that seems to be wrong, Jack, which proves women are liars. This is a, uh, a couple of companies and universities got together and, and did this survey of 64,000 women around the world which renders some of the answers irrelevant. Some poor gal in Saudi Arabia just praying that her husband doesn't beat her too much 
is probably looking for different qualities than some uh, uh, some Chiquita in the Bronx looking for uh, a lumberjack-looking hipster who actually has some muscles like a lumberjack <laughs> and not linguini arms like a hipster. Um, so, again, it's all about kindness. But uh, Thinnest neck I've ever seen. Joe's working the physical angle on people. Exactly. Neck like a soda straw. Not a long ball hitter. What percentage of women? Again, this is many countries. Uh, primary, uh, oh, oh, what's is this very important? Your partner's desire to parent. 46% said yes. 46% of women of all sexual orientations said a potential partner's desire to parent is very important. Hmm. Women want to be moms. A lot of them. Well, most women do. Um, it's few women who said ethnic or religious similarity are important traits in a long-term partner. Only about 25%. Again, if you're asking gals in Saudi Arabia, they'd better pick a Muslim or they'll be put to death. Likewise, Somalia and Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan and and most Muslim countries on earth. (laughs) If she's a Muslim. Uh, You know, people don't check that box, but most people marry within their own ethnicity and faith. Correct. Uh, faith is not as big a deal as it used to be. Most people just kind of automatically do that. I think it's so automatic you wouldn't even think about it. Right. Now, the whole ethnic similarity thing, I think it was it's barely 10% said that is an important trait. But look around you, it clearly happens. Well, right. And and the funny thing is, I remember, you know, back when I was a kid, people would talk a lot more about, yeah, this Italian guy or this, uh, this Irishman or a Whopper or, you know, Polak or whatever. And nobody cares about that stuff anymore. People want tribes. They want divisions. And when America was even more white than it is now, it was what, uh, where were your grandparents from? Right? You know, are they one of those things I mentioned or, uh, you know, a dozen different other ethnicities that have come in waves? Most people were white, so you had to break it down even further. Just like all those people killing each other in the Middle East look exactly the same. Right. And and have the same core religion, you know, maybe the Shia versus the Sunni thing. But. Still have to find a way to divide yourselves. Yeah, so anyway, uh, when it comes to physical features, an attractive smile. Hey, by the way, if the kids are uh, listening, perhaps now would be a great time to put in your Rafi uh, tape. People still listen to Rafi? What's Rafi? Or Baby Shark. Baby oh, Beluga. Baby Shark. Who's Rafi? What's yeah, Rafi? Rafi. R- Rafi's the Led Zeppelin of non-threatening children's music. Mm. When it comes to physical features, an attractive smile is important, more important than anything else, including genitals. For both heterosexual and homosexual women... Did you, did you put that in there for comedic? No, that's but in that's there. Part I'm of just it? reading. I would never do that, Jack. Including genitals? Yes. For both hetero and non-hetero women, an attractive smile and attractive eyes were the most important physical features sought in a long-term partner. Yeah, I... I yeah. For hetero women, right after smile and pretty eyes is an average-sized penis, which was considerable, <laughs> considered more I, desirable than a large penis. I don't... Oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Women with more sexual experience were more likely to place a higher importance on wang size. Yeah, I don't know. Just having sat around in a lot of bars listening to a lot of women talk, 
loose lipped after drink. That just doesn't seem to be that big a deal. Short hair, large hands, an attractive back, muscular arms, and facial hair were the next physical features most frequently selected as desirable. That's why most of my going out shirts are all backless. Hairy. That's, that's a good policy. Hairy arms and muscular faces, is that what you said? Short hair, large <laughs> Never mind. For women who identified as a lesbian, gay, or homosexual. Short hands and large hair. Exactly. <laughs> the next most desirable physical features after a nice smile. Average breasts, average buttocks. I have average breasts. Attractive back again. And long hair in that order. I've never heard a woman say, look at the back on that guy. Oh, yeah. Huh. Well, that's there. Keep that's it because you're walking away when they say it. Because you got a soft, <laughs> flabby back. They don't want to embarrass you. Flab back. <laughs> flabby, hunched over. It's ear hair on that list. <laughs> Women love that, as long as it's carefully styled. Uh, how important is financial security mm. when choosing a partner? Uh, gals in Japan, uh, two-thirds of gals in Japan said that's very important. U.S. is down at 59% and only 34% in France, probably because the government is, you know, they're socialist, so who cares? Mm. Um, to a large extent. Uh, let's see, anything else? Education, eh, it's fairly Arm important. hair? Was that actually one? Oh, what? muscular arms. Yes, yes. Yeah. And an attractive back. Well, <laughs> you and your backless shirt. <laughs> That's great. Sometimes the dress codes, the bouncers give me a hard time, but I can usually work my way past yeah. that. You yeah. you wear more halter tops than most guys do. <laughs> I say, no, this is flat. This costs $200. <laughs> right. It's just a front. With like a spaghetti strap around the neck. It's your to, you have no culture, sir. To show off your back. Everybody's wearing this in Paris. Idiot. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. You know that you not doing stand-up drives people crazy. You know that, right? I'm going to do it again. Really? Yeah, I just had this. I have to get up and work. The only way you could get like an act is I got to go to the clubs and work out. I'm going to do that again. You still got to go to the comedy club. You still got to go to, you could have your own club. So you should buy the comic strip and I'll come work out there. You, you, you want to do that, I'll do it. I'll call it Jerry Seinfeld's <laughs> comic strip. That's uh, from the new season of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee by Jerry Seinfeld. It's on Netflix. That was Eddie Murphy hinting that he's going to do stand-up again, which would make huge money. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'd love to see it. The guy was crazy funny. But I watched a couple of episodes of the new Seinfeld series. That is so good. Oh, yeah. i got to watch them all. Everyone I've ever seen has been great. Do, do really? Normal, yes, really. Do normal people enjoy that or just people who, who like know. think about comedy? Netflix paid him $100 million for okay. uh, the whole package. Yeah, right. So there must be a lot of people who like it. But anyway... Yeah. The two episodes that I that I loved, John Mulaney, which was really funny. He's a funny guy, and Seinfeld's a funny guy, and they talk about TV and stuff like that. But the Alec Baldwin episode mm. was hilarious. Oh, boy. He seems like he might be the funnest, most fun person to hang around that exists. Right. When he's not punching people out, he's cracking wise. When they're <laughs> sitting, Don't take his parking spot. Right. When, when, they're exactly. sitting, when they're sitting in a diner, he's just nonstop on doing voices and quotes and acts and like wow. scenarios. and He's just hilarious. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> uh, we used to call him America's treasure, right? right? Yeah, Alex, he is. Before he, he <laughs> got we were watching, angry and acerbic and political. That's but, when he was on every week on 30 Rock. On 30 he, Rock, yeah. he was so good on that. Man. He yeah. is in real life just one of those people that is unbelievable. 
Yeah. Alex We're Bubbly. catching on Netflix. Yep. yep I don't yep. even own Netflix. Stop. Um, I did at one point. I think I sold it. Probably ought to check that. Because I don't think things are getting better for... I, I was got always excited. There's a new uh, Star Trek show with uh, Captain Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fabulous, uh, gifted Shakespearean actor. Help me. I'm old. Yeah. Oh, why am I? Uh, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, of course. And I got all excited about it. Then I saw that it's going to be streaming on the CBS Unlimited oh, service. Boy. Oh boy! I did. I didn't. I've never heard of that. And they've got major productions coming out. And you have to buy a subscription. I reckon another yeah. subscription. So, yeah, some sort of. Who knows? Maybe it's four ninety nine a month. That's M- how they get you. Many of the network based ones. If you already have a cable subscription, you can kind of get in through your your pre existing cable subscription. But oh, they, okay. they are uh, I, they are aiming for their own standalone over the top kind of streaming. We, we were talking earlier about the percentage of Americans that don't have four hundred dollars even set aside for an emergency. Here's the place to start if you don't have that four hundred dollars. Look at your subscriptions. All you of your month. subscriptions, right? Jeez. Yep, indeed. How often you eat out would probably be number two. Uh, so listen, uh, I hate to be ungenerous. I'm not a one-upsmanship guy. If somebody tells me a nice story from their life, I, I try to express appreciation. So I felt bad that I had to one-up uh, my buddy, uh, Matt. There's a lot of people named Matt, so I don't think that's given too much away. But There's a lot of people named Matt. Well, I, I'm normally, joking. Normally I can't. <laughs> Shut up. Normally... <laughs> I try to keep people anonymous unless they've specifically granted me, you know, go ahead and use my name. Um, But uh, my buddy Matt was at a birthday lunch and making his way home through the West Coast city where he lives. And uh, he and his wife uh, were counting the bums and junkies on the way home. That's a good way to kill the time. As they literally uh, had to step over a large uh, pool slash lake of urine uh, right by the fancy restaurant where they went for the birthday lunch. And uh, they finally, they got to 30, uh, and, and they stopped. A mile and a half. 30 bums and junkies wow, lining the crowd. I happened to be in San Francisco over the weekend, uh, across the bridge, downtown, and um, went to a ball game. It was big fun. But uh, the number of, of beggars and, and bums and junkies in San Francisco is just astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. It's like a third world country. I walked around New York for, what, two, three days we were there last June, saw two homeless people. I was in Vegas for two days, saw zero. Yeah. So uh, per block or two total. Judy and I are uh, walking back to the car after the ball game, and uh, we stop at the traffic light to to cross the street. And Judy goes, "Oh my God, he's bare assed." I said, "What? Who is where? Why? What?" Now that's how you start a conversation. I'm I'm squinting across the street, and I'm like, "No." She said, "No, right there," and just six feet away. Sprawled out on the pavement on his side, like he was some sort of uh, uh, Rubenesque beauty on a couch with a come hither look. 350 pound guy. Pants down around his calves. Completely bare ass nude. On the pavement. And everybody just walking by because that's just part of life. Right, as everybody's going home from the ballgame, whatever. There are hundreds of people within, you know, a, a block. And. You know, San Francisco is New York in the 70s. It is. It's completely lawless. So, you know, I was thinking about this. Follow my logic here. Do societies, maybe a city, maybe a state, maybe a town, whatever, do societies try things? Of course they do. That's an idiot. The question is so simplistic, it's idiotic. Of course societies try things. They try out ideas. 
It's another question for you. So simplistic, it's it's just silly. Are all ideas good ideas? Again, anybody who answered that yes, you'd think, oh, they should really be in a mental institution. They probably don't think there are a lot of people named Matt. Right. <laughs> right. They know nothing about the world. So I think we, the sane, have agreed. Societies try out ideas, and some ideas are bad ideas. Now, here's where we finish the deal and liberate you from this idiotic, nearly mentally ill notion that everything that changes or everything that's done is a good idea and that you have to go along with it. All change is not progress. Societies try ideas that are bad ideas. Sometimes they're disastrously bad ideas. For instance, a city where people openly shoot up and poo on the streets and walk around pantless and hassle you and demand your money or bust into cars and get and are never arrested and never tried and never punished. These are all terrible, terrible ideas. Again, and it's okay to say that. That was New York in the 70s, and then they decided in a city that is five to one Democrat, decided we don't want to live like this way anymore and, and change the law. And San Francisco and L.A. will do that again, too. So if you're going to inevitably do it, I mean, it's inevitable, right? Right. Why not do it now? <laughs> Why yeah. wait any longer? Yeah. You know, just a quick note, speaking of lawlessness with my whole uh, brother and his family's car getting smashed into and all their valuables taken as the Navy transfers them. Um, a certain member of the media whose name will be withheld uh, for the same reason as the mysterious Matt. Um, he says, so sorry that happened to him. Unfortunately, it's extremely common in San Francisco. My car has been broken into 20 times, including twice in the same month. Can you imagine everybody in the rest of America listening right now? Your car has been broken into 20 times where you live. Twice in the same month. The car is a 29-year-old beat-up Ford Festiva. Last time they stole the only thing worth stealing in the car, which was the battery that I had just replaced uh, from it being stolen. Uh, Most people never even... uh, Oh, you guys were talking about San Francisco crime statistics, where, for instance, the, uh, the property crime rate is double that of Chicago, which is just astounding. Most people never report car break-ins. That's a good point. Including myself. Because the form to report is cumbersome, nothing's ever done about the crime, uh, and tells a story about, you know, the, the cops, the people who showed up saying, why are you even bothering? So what's the actual number? Can you imagine? 20 times and you just keep putting up with it. We've got a another one of those stories of how far down the road of uh, crazy we've gone as a country in terms of virtue signaling or... Uh tolerance or whatever. So I want to talk about that uh, next hour on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Just popped into my head, one of the conversations they had on Jerry Seinfeld's show, him and Alec Baldwin's sitting there having coffee, which I thought was kind of interesting. Alec Baldwin said, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of luck involved in being successful, just a lot of luck. And, uh, and Jerry Seinfeld said, I don't agree with that at all. He said, there are so many people that are smart or talented or have a skill, and they just think it's going to work out for them automatically. And they just sit there and wait till somebody comes to them, I guess, right. without realizing you have to put all this effort into making it happen yourself. you got to knock on the door 200 times. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. really an interesting uh, you know, 
two different views of that. There's yes. clearly luck involved in life. And it's okay and good, but. to have humility about your success. There's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, listen, the two of us uh, uh, doing a radio show were rejected literally hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And we just kept annoying people. Or you got really high and grades. And we're in annoying sh- you today. Or you got high grades in school and you're just waiting for the success to come your way. It's not going to work that way. Nope. You do have to go out and get it at some point. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Often referred to as the Lavender Mafia, that's the the gay power brokers around the Pope in the Vatican Hmm. that um, keep any serious investigations into all kinds of sexual behavior from happening, which... uh, is one of the, is well is not one of the reasons it's the reason why this pedophilia priest problem has never been dealt with seriously or looked at seriously is because so many people are gay at high levels that's also the sort of thing you get kicked out of the Catholic right. Church for so you, you can't you so can't, if I'm taking kickbacks I'm not going to blow the whistle on you embezzling right simple as that there's this new book hmm. coming out uh, in most of the world it's going to be called Sodoma as in Sodom. Uh, in wow. Western Europe in different languages. But in the United States, it's going to be called In the Closet of the Vatican. And it comes out on Thursday. It's written by a French journalist named Martel, who is gay, it's worth pointing out. His his his, his thing is that he's not a right-wing uh, Catholic trying to root gays out of the church. Right. Uh, is not his goal. It's It uh, has a number of bombshells. It includes the claim that about 80% of the male Roman Catholic clergy members who work at the Vatican around the Pope are gay. 80%. It contends that the more showily homophobic a Vatican official is, the more likely he belongs to that crowd. Mm-hmm. And that the higher up the chain of command you go, the more gays you find. And they aren't celibate by a long shot, most of right, them. Right, I've heard that too. Boy, yeah. so it's 80% in total, and the higher you go up the chain of power, the more? So, you, you mean, there's not much room between 80 and 100%. You know, it's it's... Notable, Jack, that we received a long and detailed email from uh, a uh, a friend of the show from way back about a specific diocese in an American city, and it was practically phrase by phrase exactly what you're saying about this book. Do you know what um uh, what group it was? Jesuits, Dominicans, whatever. Do you remember? Oh gosh, your particular order. No, I don't. Because there's uh, Andrew and Sullivan. I don't want to guess. Andrew Sullivan, who's a conservative, uh, gay commentator, writer, wrote for one of your magazines, your big thinking magazines. Mm-hmm. He uh, he said, particularly among Jesuits and I think Dominicans, it, it doesn't matter if I get it wrong, you know. But it's very no offense. very high percentage. So it, it changes from order to order. order, to order. Is that the that's terminology? His, that's his belief based on his research as a gay Catholic. Uh, Interesting. Um, The book explores by this uh, Frederick Martel guy. He says that even the even in San Francisco's Castro Castro district, there aren't as many gays as there are in the Vatican. Um, There's uh, there's quite a few gay fellows in the Castro. The sourcing of much of in the closet of the Vatican counted them, but there seem to be quite a few. The sourcing of much of in the closet of the Vatican is vague, and Vatican experts say that eighty percent is neither knowable nor credible. 
It's not scientifically based on accusation. It's an ideologically based one, says you know somebody with the Catholic Church. Um, but what one ideology? The, one of the problems is that the Catholic bishops have never allowed any kind of research in this area, says the author of the book. They don't want to know how many gay priests there are. Independent studies have put the percentage of gay men among Catholic priests in the United States at between 15 and 60 percent. Well, that's a pretty wide range. A bit of a range, yeah. But he's claiming that it's a higher percent. So it's not it's not a long stretch from 60% to 80% among the power brokers in the Vatican. Right. Is it worth pointing out the distinction, though? The, the, they're practicing gays and not non-practicing. Right. I mean, if right. your orientation is, is gay, but you follow the tenets of the church carefully. If, you've never, if you never have sex and never have and never do have sex, you aren't anything. Right. Well, I, I suppose you could be shamed into not blowing the whistle because it would be anti-gay. I'm just I'm guessing, though. In an interview, Martel stressed that that 80 percent number is informed by about 1500 interviews over four years and the contributions of scores of researchers and other assistants. This writer from the New York Times says, I covered the Vatican for the Times for two years, and the book has a richness of details that is persuasive. It's going to be wildly discussed and hotly debated. Perhaps the most vivid of double lives under Martel's gaze is that of Cardinal Alfonso Lopez Trujillo of Colombia, who died about a decade ago. According to the book, he prowled the ranks of seminarians and young priests for men to seduce and routinely hired male prostitutes, sometimes beating them up after sex. All the while, he promoted the church's teaching that all gay men are um, uh, need to be kicked out of the church. And you know, Wow. Wow. Whole thing. Uh, there is a big conference coming up at the Vatican about sexual abuse. It's the first time ever that the Pope has summoned the presidents of every Catholic uh, the bishops' conference around the world to come discuss this topic. The 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 reviewer in the New York Times is concerned that the book um, uh, conflates being gay with preying on kids too much, and that that'll be a problem. The author says he's trying to make the point that there's just a culture of secrecy around sex, and it's all tied together. You just that doesn't seem that difficult to comprehend to me. Me neither. You just don't talk about sex. Yeah, I wonder if the New York Times just has to bend over backwards because of their you know, heavily a liberal audience. Um, it seems easy to understand to me. You don't have to be anti-gay to understand that if I'm violating one huge church law, I'm not going to blow the whistle on somebody violating a different one. So even if perhaps I'd like to, it's got to be an anguished place to be. So you got the highest per- person ever in the history of the Catholic Church that has been uh, put down by this whole scandal. That happened on, was it this Friday or last? The Friday before? Defrocked. I think it was Friday. Cardinal McCarrick, who, if you follow the news, he used to be on Meet the Press with Tim Russert. Jeez, every Christmas, every Easter. He was like the Catholic Oh yeah, in the U.S. Cardinal McCarrick. For the he's, media. He has been with, I don't know how many different presidents I've seen his picture with. He was the media's cardinal. And he was just a smiling old grandfatherly guy who would seem uh, molested and or raped children. And uh, was pressuring seminarians who were grown-ups, but into uh, situations where if you weren't going to go along with it, you weren't going to become a priest. Right. He would use the seminary as his own private sex farm for young men. Yep. And the Pope forced him to resign. Right. That's the first bishop defrocked like that. And he's high up. He's a cardinal with, I mean, he could get the Pope or, on the phone. Cardinal, yeah. yeah he's a, he could get the Pope on the phone anytime he wanted to. He's a trusted, close advisor of the Pope. And apparently he, he is so far over the line. They made him step down. So where does he turn up? And I find this an interesting part of the whole thing. 
This wouldn't make news anywhere except for I know this little town of Victoria, Kansas. I went to a little town for college, town called Hayes, 17,000 people. Not far outside of that town is an even tinier town of like 900 people called Victoria. Oh. That has a giant Catholic church there called the Cardinal of, or the uh, Cathedral of the Plains. An enormous structure. Oh. I've been to many a wedding and funeral and shindig at that enormous church. He is now living, living this uh, Cardinal McCarrick, in that tiny little town on the church's dime. He gets to live out the rest of his life in the little uh, little house that they have next to that giant cathedral. Lifetime sexual predator. Lifetime sexual predator, probably raper of children, gets to be supported into his uh, the rest of his life. And do you think it's just an accident that they picked this? I mean, this is the middle of nowhere that I just happened to be from that I know of it. Right. Uh, it was made the local papers there. I think it's an accident that they put him there. They just they just hide their abusers. In tiny little towns. And as far as I know, he's not under lock and key, so he, he's an old man. He's almost 90. I don't yeah. think he's probably going to do anything. Yeah. But he's out to wander the streets. Well, that's like if the record company was supporting R. Kelly for the rest of his life. Isn't that I mean, crazy? Why are you doing anything for him? This is what they've been doing forever, and now they're still doing it. You move them to some different town where nobody knows who they are, hopefully, and you hide them. Wow, so if a guy is, uh, has been so horrific throughout his life that you have to defrock him as a cardinal, first time ever? But we'll support you for the rest of your life. You can live on our dime at our place. No problem. That says it all. Isn't that amazing? And I guess the locals are pretty unhappy about it. I would be. Wow. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.